Um, yeah, good morning. If uh, you're a guest with us, my name is Dominic, and uh, so glad that you're here this morning, um, whether that's online or in the room. Uh, to start this morning, I want to invite you to take a look at um, an image, and simple question, what do you see as you look at this image above? How many of you see the giraffe? Okay, let's try another one. How many of you see the white and blue dress, or how many of you see the black and gold dress? How many of you see the face of Jesus? How many of you see the paint blot? Okay, good, good. There's a man named George Buttrick, and he was a pastor back in the 1700s, and he wrote a book on prayer. And in his book on prayer, he speaks of a, a businessman or a lecturer that stood in front of a, a business hall for a lecture, and he put up a similar image. And every single person in the room saw just the paint blot. And his point in having them look at that was that it was, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a trick question. But his point was that because of our lives in this world, whether that's just the bent of, of sin and pain and suffering, all of those things, he, he says maybe it's even because of ingratitude. He says it might just be because of pain and hurt. But the reality is we see a white piece of paper like this, and the thing that we're drawn towards is the paint blot in the middle. But what he invited them to consider instead is that that paint blot is surrounded by endless mercy. We're drawn to the darkness in the middle, and we're drawn to see the imperfections. We're drawn to see the hardships in those things uh, when we look at something like this. But he said the reality is it's surrounded by purity and beauty. It's surrounded by endless mercy. This morning, we're going to take our next step in our journey uh, in this series that we're calling um, The Way of the Cross. And we're going to be looking at our fourth week and our fourth event in this journey of Jesus uh, going from the Garden of Gethsemane on His way to the cross. And the, really the heart of this um, series is um, just to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds for celebration at, at Easter time. Uh, Lent doesn't officially start until uh, February 14th, but we, we've decided to start it a few weeks early because really the, the heart of this series is that we, we take time and we take space to deeply consider and contemplate the different events that happened in the life of Jesus in the days uh, leading up to the cross. And the goal and the, the heart is, is the hope that as we take this time to intentionally look, that we're going to see a more full picture of God's heart. That as we look at the Son and the way that He journeyed through these events of the last days of His life, that looking at the cross and looking at the Christ would allow us to see a more fuller picture again of God's heart, God's love, God's compassion, and today the depth and the richness and the fullness and the expanse of God's mercy that sometimes is really easy for us to miss. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 26 to join me. If you don't have it, it's okay. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, if you want to walk, take out your phone or the, the pew Bible, you can do that as well. But we're going to be looking at this event uh, in Matthew 26 that uh, we often think about and consider as it's titled. It's, it's Peter's denial of Jesus. But I hope again that today as we look at this, that as we look at this one event, we also will see the bigger picture and scope of, of God's unending mercy towards us and even towards Peter in this scenario. 
Now, before I read, I just set the context real quick just to, just to get us here together. We started this journey uh, with Jesus celebrating Passover with his disciples. Uh, Jesus broke bread with them for the last time, and he instituted for the first time what we know and consider uh, called the Lord's Supper. After that night, as he broke bread with them, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there Jesus was alone. He brought three with him, and he invited them to pray. They stood at a distance, and he went in further deeply with the Father. And we're, we're told, and we read that as he prayed, he was in agony. And he prayed, Lord, would you take this cup from me, if possible, yet not my will, but yours be done. And as he gets up from his prayer, uh, a, a troop of soldiers comes in with, with Judas, one of his own disciples. And after wrestling in agony and receiving an answer of, no, I won't take this cup from you, son, but my presence will be with you, all of a sudden there's the presence of, of the Roman guards. And he's arrested, and he's taken away. And last week we landed in the place where Jesus was standing in the middle of the night before Caiaphas and the Jewish council, and he's condemned to death. And so where we find ourselves today is that same night, I just on now the outside of these walls, and this is what we read. It says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. So it's the courtyard that's outside of, of, of Caiaphas's palace, where inside is, is all the, the council condemning Jesus. And it says, a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and they said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Before we continue, I want to invite you just to look for a moment on um, another image. If you put that one up for me. This is a rendering uh, by a French painter named Tissot, and he uh, paints the picture. If you look closely back to on, on your left side, uh, you can see potentially inside the windows. And you can see that that's the interior of, of Caiaphas's palace. If you look close enough, you can see potentially Jesus standing there. He's bound, standing before Caiaphas and the council, potentially up to 70 members. They're ridiculing him. They're asking him questions. Ultimately, they're, they're condemning him to death. And as we move our eyes to the forefront, we see Peter uh, leaning against the wall. I'm not sure if the palace really had these openings, really had these windows or had this space where Peter would be able to see in like that, or where potentially Jesus could peer out and see him. But we see Peter standing there in a sense, cowering and covering himself from a young girl. We're told in this account that there's one young girl that's there and, and she points to him and, and says, you, you were with Jesus, and he denies it. So then there's a second girl and, and she looks at him and she also looks at the crowd though that is there or the group that's there. And she says, you, you're with him, your accent betrays you. And he says, no, no, I, I don't know the man. And then it goes from one girl to one girl and, and the group to now the group looking at him and saying, yes, certainly you were with Jesus. Certainly you were with him. 
And the account tells us that Peter denies it a third time. Not only does he deny it a third time, but then he calls a curse down upon himself. So not only is it building from the outside this pressure, but inside, I think, with each pointing toward him, the pressure was building inside. Such to the point, again, that it says that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. It says that after that third time and after he calls that curse upon himself, that then the rooster crows. And Peter remembered in that moment the words of Jesus, that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It says then he ran out, or he went out, and he wept bitterly. Again, the heart of this series is that in each of these events, each of these stops, we look intentionally and we look more deeply at the person, the character, and the actions of Jesus. In order to do that in this event here, we need to pull up a little bit and look at a couple other passages around it. And so that's what I want to do next. Because this passage points us actually to what Peter remembers after he experiences the pressure after he ex- experiences the accusations, after he experiences the, the, the self-condemnation and pushes back in denial, we're told here that he remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so I want to flip over just a little bit earlier in, in Matthew chapter 26 and read that before we were able to, to see really, I think, what, what the heart of, of, of this, this message is today. So in Matthew 26, we're going to read together, and this is verses 30 to 35, and it says this. And it says, When they had sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is after he had inst- the Lord had instituted the Lord's Supper. This is before the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right there in between. It says, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, they will, Though they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, Jesus says a a pretty critical statement here, a pretty important statement here, when he says that this night you will all fall away because of me. What Jesus was saying was that they're all going to stumble. They're all going to be made to stumble. Not just Peter, but every single one of them. And one of the reasons why they would stumble is actually similar to to the very reason why Jesus, in a sense, was about to stumble in the garden. If you remember the garden, Jesus three times asked the Father to take the cup from him. Jesus, in that moment, you could say, was wrestling with temptation. He was wrestling with the pressure of the external world around him. And I would propose to you that as a full human, he was actually wrestling with the pressures and the temptations mounting within his own heart and mind. He was fully human. He knew what was about to come. He knew what the Roman cross was. He knew the pain that would go with that. He knew the crowds and the people. He knew the way that he had been treated throughout his three years of ministry. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. And he himself three times experienced wrestling back and forth, dynamic interaction with the Father. Would you please take this from me? 
I know that this is what I came here for, but this is not easy. And I think that Jesus, even as he was thinking through and wrestling with the Father of what he was going to have to go through, knowing he was going to enter into that, I think what we see Jesus do here when he warns them and he says to them, this night you will all fall away because of me. And he tells Peter, hey, guess what? A rooster is going to crow three times tonight. And before that happens, you're going to deny me three times. I think what Jesus was doing was putting himself into, again, the experience of Peter. And again, mercifully giving him a warning of, hey, heads up, the road here forward is not easy. See, I think often we read this passage, both the one where Peter denies and when Jesus foretells that Peter's going to deny, and we think there goes Jesus condemning him already. Something about, again about sin, about brokenness, about our journey in this world and the hardship that we've experienced, we project onto these passages the black dot in the middle. And what we don't see is the vast mercy surrounding it all. I think Jesus is mercifully warning Peter and inviting him to understand and realize that the journey ahead as my disciple in these days forward, it wasn't easy then, and it's actually not going to get any easier in these days. I know that you hold this vision and this understanding that I as the Messiah, that I am supposed to come, and I am supposed to overthrow Rome on your behalf, and I am supposed to institute and establish right now for you my power, my authority, my kingdom, and you're going to be set free from the Roman occupation, the Roman pressure, all of these things. You're going to be set free from the, the corruption of, of this Jewish system that has taken place in these days. You're going to be set free from all that. I know that that's what you've been expecting me as the Messiah to do. But guess what, Peter? As we've journeyed together for these three years, I've told you that that's not what I'm going to do. And in these days ahead, I'm going to prove to you actually that that's not what I'm going to do. And so I'm giving you a warning and a heads up. Tonight, you will fall away because of me. And I think Jesus is mercifully not only focused just on his pain and his suffering, but he, out of love and out of compassion, is concerned about the pain and the suffering of Peter and all the disciples even more so. And he gently warns them. He speaks in admonition to them. He encourages them to be on guard and to beware that the road and the way of the cross in the next couple days is not going to be easy. If we jump back then to Verses 69 to 75, looking at what happens with Peter. Again, I think we can often look at this and, and just think, oh Peter, oh Peter, how could you? And on one hand, then it's easy for us to maybe align with, I love Vicky's words, it's easy for us to align with the dummy disciples sometimes in these moments of failure, right? But I think what Peter being there actually shows us is a certain amount of faith and courage. None of the other disciples, are we told, actually enter into this courtyard. But Peter alone, though he didn't fully heed and fully hear Jesus' words, he had the courage enough that he, and the desire within his heart that he wanted to be close to Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, he wanted to be close to Jesus. And we see him move into the courtyard 
as close as he could be with Jesus. There he stood, again, Jesus potentially just on the other side of the wall, just visible through the windows. Jesus is seeing him maybe, but Peter's listening, Peter's watching, and then he experiences the pointing fingers of the two young girls and the crowd. See, I think Peter, yes, on one hand, it was the circumstances that brought him to the end of himself. He realized that his own self-reliance couldn't get him through this moment. He realized that his, his desire for, for comfort and the safety wasn't going to allow him to stand in confidence with Jesus in that moment. But I think also what Peter experiences there is the reality of his inability to grasp that the purposes of Jesus' suffering weren't yet figured out in his heart and in his mind and weren't aligned with, with what he thought the Messiah should be. This was a pretty anticlimactic ending to the life and the journey of a Messiah. And Peter, to a degree, just couldn't reconcile that in his mind. And so Peter comes to this place of denial three times, the rooster crowing, him calling down bitterly a curse upon himself and potentially even upon God. And then it says he walks out (laughs) weeping bitterly. And if you're not familiar with the story or familiar with the Scriptures, we look at this and we read this and we go, he remembered too late. This, this is the end. Poor Peter. He failed again. And this is the end of the story. And that's just what we see if we focus just on the black paint dot. But I want to invite us to pull up again and consider the grander mercies, the unending mercies surrounding this event leading on the way of the cross. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 21. And before we read our section here, this is in John 21. We're going to read the latter section of it. But the first part of John 21, uh, verses 1 through 14, this is Jesus now um, resurrected. So he's already gone the full way of the cross. He's already been crucified. He's been laid in the tomb. On the third day, he was resurrected. He's already appeared to the disciples a handful of times in other places. And he comes and he walks up upon uh, the Sea of Galilee. And what we see and find is that, what Jesus finds is there's seven of his disciples, they're in a boat, it's middle of the night, and they're out there fishing, and they've caught nothing. And he's standing on the shore, and he says to them, hey, sons, have you caught anything? And they say no. And he says, well, throw your, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do that. And it says that they pulled up such a great number that they, they couldn't even haul it in. And it says that they, they don't dare ask who it is, but they, they could notice just enough that it was Jesus. And Peter actually asks somebody, who is that? And they say, it's Jesus. And Peter realizing that, it says that he, he put his clothes back on because he was stripped for work. He put his clothes back on. It says he jumps in the water and he swims. The, the, the account tells us that they're maybe about 100 yards out or something, and he swims. And he's the first one to make it to the shore. The rest stay in the boat. They, they bring the boat to shore. And upon getting to the shore, this is what happens. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, then Peter, follow me. See, I think these three accounts together show us a view uh, of how God, of how Jesus treats our wrestlings, how he views and he treats our struggles, how he views and he treats even our failures. And what I would propose to you is that well, often the world might be like the young girl in the crowd that looks at us and corners us in the courtyard and says, see, you failed, or see, you did that thing, or see, you're acquainted with the wrong thing. And in those moments, well, internally, we might have those inner tapes that say, yeah, I did it again. I screwed up. I failed. I should call a curse down upon myself because that's what I deserve for denying even in these moments. What this account shows us here is that Jesus knew, as Peter said, Lord, you know all things. Jesus knew the suffering and the hardship that Peter would face. Why? Because Jesus knew the suffering and the hardship that he himself faced on the way to the cross, wrestling in the garden. And Jesus knew here that indeed Peter did love him. I don't think he was asking him three times to condemn him. Instead, he was asking him three times to redeem the three times of failure. Similar maybe to the interaction again that Jesus had in the garden as he asked three times, Father, would you take this cup from me? And the Father said, no, son, I cannot do that. But I know your heart and my presence will be with you. See, and Jesus know, knows, we're told even here, the death that Peter would, would succumb to, the death that Peter would face, himself being crucified in, in, in a Roman cross, himself being tortured and condemned to death for actually living a life faithful of knowing Jesus. But I think this picture of these three together give us this, this reality of the depth and the breadth of God's heart and his mercy, his compassion, and his love towards us. If we look at just this stop on the way to the cross, just by itself, we focus and we see only this black blot in the middle. A mistake, a marring on the canvas that it, the rest of it is covered in the mercy and the goodness of God. See, I think as Jesus interacts with Peter here, his question actually of, do you love me, is a question of, Peter, do you trust me? And do you trust that I have your good in mind? Do you trust that I'm good? And do you trust that I only and ever have your best and good intentions in mind? See, Peter's response is, Lord, you know all things. You know whether or not I love you. But see, here's the thing. If Peter knows and trusts that, that God is powerful and that God is good, but he can't trust him, what's the point? And if Jesus actually does know all things and he is all-powerful, but he isn't good, then what's the point? What Jesus, I believe, is inviting Peter to realize and understand is, yes, I do know all things. I predicted the crow. I predicted your denials. I predict, I know all these things. And in the midst of it, as I come to you and I find you, even in your failing, even in your suffering, do you trust that I also am good? Do you believe that I am good and powerful? And do you believe that I am trustworthy? Do you love me? Do you love me to the point even then that you would trust me and that you would follow me? Even when the suffering is hard. 
even when the road ahead is not what you anticipated, even when there's other scenarios and circumstances where in your head it doesn't line up that this should be the end of a Messiah's journey and this is what God ordains it to be, even when you're in that moment, do you trust that I am good and that I am trustworthy that you will follow me even through that? And I believe what Jesus is showing here is that he seeks and he pursues us even in the midst of those moments, and he comes to us with nothing but tender mercies. He comes to us with love, with compassion, and with tender mercy to do nothing but restore. What we see here is Peter being fully restored. Not just, do you love me? Okay, good, great. But Peter, do you love me? Do you trust me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. And Jesus did know his heart, and so Jesus takes the next step and he says, then Peter... Feed my sheep. Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus, though he stood in front of a high priest that condemned him, that Jesus was nothing like that high priest. Jesus instead is the great high priest, our great high priest, who doesn't condemn us, but instead bestows on us an identity of beloved. And Jesus does that same thing here. He invites Peter back in, reminds him of the covenant relationship. Peter, do you love me? Well, guess what, Peter? I love you as well more than you know. And not only does he bestow upon him, again, this covenant identity as beloved, but he reinstates him in his kingdom responsibility to continue to represent the king and his kingdom even after his greatest failure. Jesus restores him to be a shepherd and a bedrock, a founder within the church. I think too often our pain, our suffering, the wear and tear of the world, again, it calls us just to see the paint blot in the middle. But I believe that the picture that the, that's painted by these three accounts on this event on the way to the cross and after it, again, church, reminds us of the vast and endless mercy that always surrounds it when you're walking in communion with the Lord. We said as we started this journey in this series that there's two key things that happen in each of these events on the way to the cross. So there's, there's two key lenses, if you will. Is that on one hand, as we look at these scenarios and we look at these events, that the, the way of the cross, the stations of the cross, that they invite us to see again the, the profound depth and goodness and love of God towards us. And then there's also the lens, though, that invites us to see and understand that in light of that goodness, and love of God for us, that we are also then called to embody that in the world. I want to propose to you a few things that I see here in this picture that invite us to view those, those two lenses. The first is this. I see that Jesus redeems and he restores us. He restores Peter from grace to grace. In some regards, you might say that Jesus is actually restoring Peter from failure to grace. What I'd propose to you is that no, he's actually restoring him from grace to grace. It's in grace that Peter actually was called to even be a part of Jesus' disciples the very first time, just like you and I. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not a work of ourselves, but this is the work of Christ Jesus. Nothing that we can boast in. Church, you've been called to relationship with the Lord. Whether you sit here this morning and, and you say, yes, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You sit here and you say, I'm here and I'm curious and I'm just trying to figure this out. Either way, you're sitting in this room this morning because of the grace of God. 
And no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you have seen yourself in the black dot, no matter where you've seen yourself aligning with the dummy disciples and Peter in this moment of the denial and all of it, no matter what it is, God invited you into relationship with himself through grace and grace alone, and he is saving you and redeeming you and restoring you from grace to grace to grace. I don't think Jesus looks at it and goes, I called you to myself, and now you fail along the way, and I have to restore you from failure to grace. No, this story shows us that Jesus restores from grace to grace. Can you believe that this morning? Can you receive that? Can you accept that? That God's love is so profound for you that when he looks at you, he does not see the black dot. All he sees is the mercy surrounding it all. All he sees is the depth of his love. All he sees is you as a beloved child because of what Jesus Christ has done for your behalf. And when he looks at you, he does not say, oh, I see the black dot on that page. He says, I see my mercy. I see my love. I see the belovedness which I have bestowed on you. And that's the way I look at you. And so I will gladly walk with you from grace to grace to grace. Jesus knows all things. Jesus knows all things. He knows the struggle. He knows the trials. Not just his own, but ours. And not just ours, but his own. And it leads him to come and pursue us and find us and have a heart towards us that is nothing but love and grace and compassion and a heart and a desire to restore. The second thing that I'd propose to you is that in that process, most life change, most deep transformation that we want to experience, that we see it in Peter, it's going to happen actually in moments when we're alone with Jesus. What do I mean by that? You've maybe often heard me say that I do believe that spiritual formation happens in community. I think that's true, that the forming, the shaping of our heart by the grace of God, I learn to forgive not by myself, but in relationship. I learn to love and to care and to serve in, in relationships. So our, our formation of spiritually, I think, happens most often in community. But deep transformation of my heart, deep transformation of the things that actually need to be unlocked in, in kind of breakthrough moments are going to happen when we're alone with Jesus. If you think about this example, about this, these stories and these interactions, in every instance, yes, Peter is surrounded by other people, but in a, in a way, there's a way in which he's alone with Jesus. If you follow me, Jesus calls him out, even, even at the Lord's Supper, calls him out. In between the Lord's Supper and the garden, Jesus calls him out. And we get this moment where we could think, if we're not reading the details, we would think it is just Peter and Jesus. Even on the shore, all seven disciples are there. But after they finish that meal that Jesus graciously prepared for them, there's this way in which Jesus specifically looks at Peter and calls him out. And what is he doing? He's wanting to get into the depth of the things actually going on in Peter's heart. And that happens, the deep transformation happens when we're alone with Jesus. Happens when we actually give Jesus space and access to our hearts to do the inner work of transformation that we long for and that we desire. Do you trust him that he's good and he only has your intention in mind? And do you trust to allow him to give him access to the deep recesses of your heart and of your mind? See, Peter, he walked through this journey but again, he came, I think, in that moment in the courtyard where he realized that his own self-sufficiency wasn't enough. He couldn't just muscle through that on his own. There was a way that, that the call on his life and the call of the journey to follow Jesus through the things needed and required a deeper... I mean, we've, if we were to read through the, the Gospels, you see from 
moment to moment to moment where, G, where Peter, it's just this, he's like this impulsive, impetuous self. You know what I mean? And we see it actually in the restoration as well. The six stay in the boat, and what does this dude do? He jumps and he swims 100 yards. Again, he's, he's acting in some regards that that same fire has never changed. But there's something that happened in this journey for him where he comes to this place at the end where he's restored, where I believe his heart is transformed. It's, what, it's why we know, and we can go and read on, that, that he wrote, you read in Acts and you go, his heart was transformed. <laughs> you read his letters, first and second, you go, oh man, this guy's heart was transformed. And my proposal to you, again, is that deep transformation happened in those moments when he was actually alone with Jesus. He came to a place of trusting and allowing Jesus access to his heart. And I think Jesus is giving that invitation to us as well. Third, I would say this, is that Jesus redeems, um, yeah, Jesus is, is with us, and his intent is, is only and ever our good. So do, do you trust that? But I think the other thing that we see here, maybe going from lens one to lens two, is this reality that Jesus redeems how humanity can view and also deal with failure. So I think what we see here is not only that Jesus doesn't condemn and doesn't shame Peter, but he restores him in love, but he's not also not just redeeming Peter in this moment. I think Jesus is giving us a picture of how we can deal and interact with our own failures. I'll be honest, my, my first gut is in a moment of failure is to be just like Peter calling down, in a sense, cursing and condemnation upon myself. And then moments later, yes, I hear the reminder of, of something that Jesus has said. And it takes me some time often to dig out and get to that place. But I think this, this event on the way to the cross and around the cross shows us how the way of the cross invites us to a new way, a different way of seeing and believing ourselves in our moments of failure and also seeing and believing in one another in our moments of failure. Jesus not only redeems the individual here, I think Jesus redeems and restores again the way that we view and see failure and struggles in community. That Jesus, because of his compassion that he received from the Father in his wrestling, gave that compassion to Peter as well and restored him. And I think the more and more that we put ourselves in the place, again, to experience the restoring mercy and goodness of Jesus, the more and more than I can actually stand in a position with you and give mercy and compassion to you as well. So here's what I want to invite us to consider. Is that the way of the cross calls us not to view, again, failures and struggles the same way that the world does, but for us to live in the restoration of God's love. And then for us to be restorers of people into God's love as well. And so, Missy, this morning, I want to invite you to consider these things. Are there gracious warnings that Jesus is speaking to you in this season? And how are you responding? Remember, Jesus gave Peter the gracious warning of, hey, it's going to get hard, and you're going to fall away. And how did Peter respond? Peter that night actually just had pride, and he said, nah, Jesus, never, never me. And we see what happened. I invite you to start there and consider what are the gracious warnings? What are the merciful ways that God is actually speaking to you right now in this season about things going on in your heart and in your mind? And how are you responding? Do you have the, the brashness and the boldness of Peter at the beginning that says, no, nah, no, nah, Jesus, I'll never do that? Or is your, soft heart, is, is, your, is your heart soft and pliable like we see in Peter at the end, actually? 
humble to receive and hear the words of Jesus. In follow-up to that, I'd invite you to consider, where is Jesus inviting you to experience restoration? Is there an area of your life? Is there a thing where you felt the condemnation of the world? Or you felt the condemnation of self? But Jesus is inviting you to, to fix your eyes upon him. And actually to allow him to speak restoration into your life. And the third one's kind of moot if we're not stepping in those first two. But if you're in a place where you're pliable and soft before the Lord, and he's, you're hearing his tender mercies, and you're experiencing restoration, the third would be this. How is Jesus inviting you to be a restorer of others in this season? Where from the restoration that you have experienced, where and how is God asking you, inviting you to partner with him in being one who doesn't point out just the ink dot in the middle, but that helps people to understand and have the vision and the understanding of a God who is endlessly gracious and merciful and kind, and that there is endless mercy surrounding the journey and the circumstances of life. I want to pray for us and invite the worship team to come up so that we can take communion together. And this morning, yeah, we have the benefit of being on this side of the cross. Jesus has walked that full journey and he has also resurrected and he sits, ascended, back next to the Father in his rightful place. And all of that we know shows his power and shows his goodness and gives us an invitation to trust him. And this morning on the, on the table, what we have is uh, elements, bread, which represents the, the body of Christ that was broken for us, and juice, which represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out and spilled for us, all done out of God's heart of love, compassion, and mercy towards us. And so in a moment, the, the worship team will lead us out in a few songs and um, they'll lead us in the communal prayer. Um, but as we worship, the invitation is that, yeah, you come and you receive from this table and you be reminded of the depth of, of God's mercy for you, the compassion. And my invitation this morning is to consider how, how this table speaks, again, of, of how God views you in your moments of, of failure, in your moments of trial, in your moments of hardship. Because what I propose to you is that this table screams nothing but mercy. <laughs> Nothing but compassion, nothing but love. And the invitation is for us to receive that this morning and allow God to do some of that deep transformation in our hearts. So Lord, this morning, we thank you for your, your goodness. We thank you for who you are, that you indeed are the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is filled with steadfast mercy and love, that you're slow to anger and you're filled with steadfast mercy and love. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for, Jesus, your journey to the cross. I thank you for the ways in which your character, your nature, your heart speaks to us and draws us in. God, we, we sang a song this morning that says, I, I need you every hour, I need you. So Jesus, this morning, we, we confess that together, that, that we need you. Every hour, we need you. We need your mercies. And we thank you that your mercies are new every day, that your love is unfailing, and that God, you are great in faithfulness, that you are good, that you are kind, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for the identity that is bestowed on us as beloved children of yours, not because of anything we have done, but because of all that you have done in Christ for us. Thank you that your heart is to pursue us and to draw close to us. 
And so Lord, this morning as we come to this table and as we sing songs of worship, Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide us in the truth? Would you silence the lies that play within our own hearts and our minds? Would you silence the lies maybe that we've heard out in the world this week? But Holy Spirit, would you amplify the loving voice of the Father and drawing us into his mercy, into his goodness, into his kindness? Lord, help us to trust you as we receive your love. Help us to follow you in faith. Lord, thank you that you are good and that you are with us and you are for us. I pray this in your name. Amen.